Hello, good morning, good day, or good evening. My name is Chris Atkins, and welcome to another episode of Secrets of the Dressing Cupboard, a podcast looking at the lighter side of entertainment. We are away from my cupboard under the stairs, and I'm recording on location in Trimden Colliery Village in the dining room of our guest this month. Today we are enjoying tea and biscuits with another wonderful act and person, a lady comedian and vocalist, and also a dear friend of mine, the wonderful Sue Allen. Before we continue, I must caution you, dear listener, that Sue, while being a sophisticated and urbane woman, has been known on occasion to use expressive language. If this is something that bothers you, please be aware. Hello, Sue. Thanks for being my guest today. Good afternoon, Chris. Oh, lovely, lovely. It's lovely to be in your fantastic, your palatial dining room. Thank you. So, I want to talk about you, of course, Sue. Uh, first of all, you know, how you doing? You all right? Yeah, I'm doing I'm doing fine. I'm happy. I'm in a good place. Uh, good, perfect. Lovely stuff indeed. Right, so what do you do now, Sue? Uh, well, now I, um, I sing. Mm-hmm. I do a little bit of comedy work. I'm heavily into my country at the moment because it's, it's what I enjoy. I like that genre of music. Um, I also work full-time for the unions. Um... I'm now branch secretary, um, so everything is good. Yeah, I'm really busy. So is it Lady Allen now, then? Or- well, not quite, not right. quite. Mom will do. Good stuff. And could you tell us a little about your hobbies? What do you like to do when you're not singing, being a lawyer, all sorts of other things? Oh, well, it's not a lawyer, Chris. Crikey, don't go, don't go saying that. I'll have everybody ringing me up. Um, QC Allen. It's <laughs> Hetty Winthrop investigates. <laughs> It's, um... You're not that what old, What do I you? do? What do I do? I... Yeah, I am quite old, actually. Uh, as well, you know. <laughs> I'm, uh, I like walking my dogs. That's, mm. that's my exercise. I love taking my dogs out two or three times a day. I currently have uh, a West Highland White, Winston, who's five, and a Tibetan Terrier, Precious, who's one. I read a lot. I do read a lot. And basically... I, did, I didn't know you could read. Oh, yes, I can read. I can... Yeah, I do like... And I like thrillers, murders. Of course. I do like to read a good murder, good thriller. Uh, other than that, I haven't got time to do anything else because work takes up the majority of my time. But I'm very family-orientated as well. like to go and see my mum and dad, who are old than me. And yeah, check oh, out older, everything's all right. Older, older than yeah. me, yeah. yeah. Yes. And, and that's, that, that's about it, Is that all you do? That is all I do, Chris. That's it's fantastic. Sad. <laughs> it's not sad. It sounds like you have a very fulfilling life. You're filling your autumn years properly. Correct. Right, so uh, now, um, obviously, we've been friends for a long time now. I we mean, have. It feels like an eternity, really, doesn't Thank it? Thank you. Now, let's see. Um, we first met in person uh, at a workman's club. We were sharing the bill. Do you remember this at all? I don't, actually. You, it must I, have been I a good night. I don't remember which club. It must have been a hell of a night. It, it, was, one of these, uh, it was one of these clubs. They, they booked you to do comedy stroke vocals, um, and they booked me to try and sing. And uh, I distinctly remember that they weren't prepared for the fact that you're a little bit blue when you do the comedy, which I find pretty funny. Yes, I am. Yeah, and uh, I remember you came on stage and there was a group of, um, I'm trying to think of the best way of describing the women that were sat at the front. Uh, the Golden Girls were there. Fr- freshly dug up, I was thinking of. <laughs> and uh, what came on stage and said, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, that we're going to blow the fa- cobwebs out your fannies, I think you said something along those lines. Um, oh, my God. And I seem to recall that they instantly looked at each other and then left. Fabulous. Yeah, that's that, about right. Yeah, superb, superb stuff. 
That's the first time meeting. We, we've been friends ever since. We you know, have been friends ever since. Anybody who talks like that to the punters is always going to be a friend of mine. Oh, great stuff. So uh, I'm looking at my notes. I've got some notes in front of me. I've been doing a little bit of digging about you. And before you did all of this uh, stuff you were talking about, you were a police officer. I was. I was in the army first, actually. Oh, really? Please, yep. could, would you mind telling us about that? Well, yeah, I, I joined the army fresh out of school. Um, in actual fact, when I went to join to, the to army... To fight World War Two, was it? Yeah. I only wanted to be a driver. That's all I ever wanted to do. I wanted to learn to drive. And I thought, well, the army's the best place to teach me. Um, but then I went down to the assessment centre, which at the time was in Guildford. It's not there now anymore, obviously, because uh, I'm old and times have changed. And um, they put you through a series of tests and then they... Um, tell you at the end of those tests what you've scored and what um, careers are open to you. And they very kindly told me that um, I had passed a, a certain score on so many different things and I could become a military policewoman if I wanted to do. So that's what I did. I became a military policewoman. An a, MP? An MP. I did my trade training down in Chichester and... For four years, that's what I did. I did my six months tour of duty in Belfast. Well, it wasn't actually Belfast. It was um, Macrofelt near Cookstown. I went over to Berlin. I saw a little bit of the world and ended my career in the army in Aldershot. Um, decided to come out of the army. Actually, I spat my dummy out because I failed my sergeant's course at Sixfield Regiment. And instead of resitting it, I just decided to come out of the army, which was, whether it was a mistake or not, I don't know. Um, joined the police force and was in the police force for a number of years until I met my first husband, Kevin. Now, there's something about Kevin. How did you meet Kevin again? Um, I met Kevin and his brother doing a burglary at Canterbury Road in Farnborough. <laughs> did you arrest Kevin when you met him? I arrested <laughs> Kevin and his brother Howard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't make the bastard up, could you? No, true story, true story. No, and it is a true story, ladies. It, it is was, a true story, very, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's amazing stuff, indeed. Oh well, yeah. Um, no, and then I was disciplined, obviously, because when the police found out that I was seeing a felon, I was disciplined and given the opportunity of either, you know, saying bye bye Kevin or bye bye police force. And unfortunately, um, I chose uh, to say bye bye to my career. Mainly because um, Kevin was on more money than me at the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh, good stuff indeed. <laughs> oh, me, me. So it went. If the neighbours had a new television, I knew I'd have the bastard three weeks later. Yep. Yep, 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 yep. <laughs> Do you see why I wanted to get Sue on the podcast, ladies and gentlemen? So, um, obviously, you do comedy. Uh, as long as, as well as the vocals. Yes. Um, now, when did you decide you wanted to be? Uh, in, when did you decide you wanted to do comedy? Um, I think it just came naturally. I'm not a natural comedian. Um, I would stand on the stage, and you have nobody to bounce off. You know, if you're in a trio or a duo or a group, you can bounce off your uh, fellow musicians, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. When you're stood there on the stage. There isn't anybody to bounce off, so you've got to get that. Um, you, you've got to get it from the audience. And it actually started out whereby, because uh, Alan, my husband, my lovely husband, Alan, 
he would sit on the stage with me and, you know, control the, the music and everything and mm. so that I was constantly facing the audience. I wouldn't have to turn my back on them. And it started out where I would literally rip the piss out of him. And, that, and it just grew from there. The more I ripped the piss out of him, the more they liked it. Yeah. Um, so it just expanded. So it wasn't something that I intentionally went in to do. It just happened. So, well, I mean, I obviously I dabble in comedy. Although if you asked anybody, they'd say I don't. Um, but uh, I always find that I ad-lib something. And if I like it, it stays in. Do you work on a similar sort of oh, process? Oh, God, yeah. Or do you yeah. write a lot of your stuff no, as no, well? No, no, I don't write anything. Mm. Um, you know, you've got to have something that you're going to say to your audience at the beginning of the, the gig. If you get a reaction... You know where you, you can go you from You know there. where you can go from there. Um, but I've put jokes in before, which I've which I found exceptionally funny, and it's just gone straight over the head of the audience. So, you know, what can you do? Well, that's right. I mean, in all fairness... You take it out. You don't do it again. Yeah. So, yeah, we were just talking about the, the, the comedy process. Um, uh, obviously, when you're talking about comedy in, like, say, the, the, a working men's club, uh, if, if uh, dear listener, you're not familiar with the working men's club, just watch Phoenix Nights. It's pretty much spot on. Yeah, uh, it is. Um, as it, although there's less people in the clubs that we work in. Um, when, it, when you're talking about comedy in reference to a workmen's club, it's not sophisticated, is it? So you can't do, like, very, very clever stuff, I've discovered. Oh, God, no, no. I mean, it's today's very... kind of comedy would not go down in a workmen's club. They, they, want to, they want to hear a joke um, or they want to hear you taking a piss out of somebody. You can't do alternative comedy in a workmen's club. That's right. That's right. And a lot, a lot, of, uh, a lot of Sue stuff... It's, it's, I mean, it's not like, um, it's not formulaic, but there is very much a like my husband, you know, yeah. my neighbor. Yeah. I saw this and it's nothing too complicated, but again, I mean, Sue's very, very successful at that. And, uh, you know, that's, that's excellent. One of my favorite things about Sue is the comedy. Um, oh, and the singing, of course. Which, such uh, an ass liquor, Chris. Uh, that's a true story. But, uh, <laughs> I'm just a bit scared of you, if I'm honest, Sue. I don't want to, don't want to start getting down I'm that so road. I'm you should be. <laughs> Yeah, so oh, that's great stuff. So, um, right, we hit on the comedy, and then of course the vocal stuff. Um, what sort of stuff do you like singing? When what you... I like and what I have to sing are two different things, as well. You know, Chris. Yeah. You know the mentality of the people I get into the workmen's club. I mean, you know, you've got to bear in mind there's seventeen and a half billion songs plus out there in the universe, and the mentality of the people in the club are: we want the same twenty-eight songs that the singer sang last week, and the singer will sing next week. Um, and as well, you know, you don't sing Betty's favourite song. You can stand on that stage and sing your tits off and give 110% and you don't sing Betty's favourite song. And at the end of the night, you are a pile of shite. So it is a, it's not a win-win situation singing in clubs. It's a no-win situation. And that is because they are, they're, they're tunnelled into what they see as acceptable songs to sing. So I like Dr. Feelgood. Mm. I like Pink Floyd. I would never dream of singing them because it would go straight over their heads and they would just start gossiping about how much the next bingo is going to be. You don't think Ethel would be into the great big No, I don't think Ethel would be into that. No? You know, and, and, and again, as far as the comedy is concerned, you know, you've got Ethel and Doris sitting in the front chomping on their false teeth. Um, years and years and years ago, when they had 17 kids each, and they used to shag the bloody milkman for a free bottle of milk. And anything went in them days. 
You say the word fanny on stage and they keel over. Did she just say that word? Well, that's not very seemly, is it, in a workmen's club? Well, you know... Do as I say, not do as I do. Hang on a minute. Look at the wheel tappers and shunters. Fabulous, fabulous entertainment. Anything goes. They all had a ball. The atmosphere was good. The camaraderie was great. And now... Was this a, this is a show back in the 70s, wasn't it? Well, so, <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I was born in 79, well, so... You, it's you've missed before. out, you. You really have missed out. Yeah. <laughs> Norman Collier and I, yeah. yeah. Exactly. I know of it, yeah, yeah. The greats. The greats, that's it. Yes, we missed the heyday now, haven't we? That now, now the clubs are in a bit of a decline, unfortunately. Ethel and Doris, they like, like you say, the same 28 songs in the exactly. same order. Yeah, um, but unfortunately, me and you don't really do that, do we? No. No, we don't. We don't conform. No, heaven forbid. Excellent. Uh, so uh, now the country circuit, that's a little bit different, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I love the country circuit. Um... I've always liked country music. I think not the old style country music, the Merle Haggards, although it's good music. I like something with a little bit of a beat, a little bit of bounce. Um, so you go to the country clubs um, to sing for them. They're, they're, they're all dressed up as, you know, Lee Van Cleft and Dolly Parton, which I love. Um, and they Lee dance. Van Cleft. Lee Van Cleft. Was that Lee Van Cleef's Clint brother Eastwood. with <laughs> <laughs> And they love to dance and they love... To, and it doesn't matter what you sing, that's the thing. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you sing because whatever song you sing, they can put a dance to it and that makes all the difference. When you have a full dance for, it, it, it's fabulous. It's, it's really good shit, in my opinion. And I like country music. So I thought, well... Before I die, I know, Chris, I'm going to die soon because you keep no, telling me no, no. how old I am. Um, I thought before I die, I'm going to do it because I, you know, I'm, I'm sick of people looking at you when you're on the stage doing cabaret like you're the bloody Antichrist. Mm. She, God, she hasn't sang Penny Arcade yet. So when's she going to sing it? Uh, so you're not the oldest. Um, I'm not kicking the ass off. In the well, I don't know. As I'm, far as females go, are there, I know there's a lot of men out there that are uh, also hideously yeah, old. I'm going to have to point out that when I do the podcast, uh, those of you who have been who are uh, listeners, they'll notice that my interviewees normally have a little uh, bracket, open bracket, age, close bracket. Now Sue won't be having her age revealed on this podcast because uh, it's a bit embarrassing for her to admit that she is the oldest living act in history. <laughs> <laughs> I've still got seven of my own teeth, though, listeners. Yeah. I'm going to move on before I get, uh, dig any more hold. Right, okay. Uh, we've uh, these these are the questions I ask all of my uh, my victims on the podcast. Victims, yeah. We, I, well, guests is probably the, the preferred nomenclature, but uh, but we've already, uh, in your own words, describe your own show or shows. We've already hit on that, so we'll we'll jump across. So, how did you end up on the cabaret circuit? Well, that was really strange, actually. I organised. Um, a charity night um, at my local club here in Trimden. And um, in a moment of madness, I decided to have my head shaved for charity. I used to have long dark hair at the time. And I decided to have my head shaved for charity. Um, gave the hair to um, some of these companies that make wigs scarecrows. for children. No, not scarecrows. And there was a band on at the time, and I asked if I could get up and sing with the band. Um, oh, you were one of them, punters? Yes, I was one of them. Can I, can I have your microphone and get up and sing? Now I could twat them when they 
Yes, for my <laughs> microphone, but there you go. And they very kindly let me get up. Um, and luckily for me, or unluckily for me, wherever way you want to look at it, there was an agent sitting in the audience who came up to me afterwards and actually said, you could do that for a living. Can I, can I be the agent in this? So let's do a bit of role-playing. I'm okay. going to be the agent. Go, go for it. I like Sue. I thought you were quite good Like, Do you fancy going on the circuit? Are you taking a fucking piss? No. I can get you any gig you want. I've got the murderer's arms coming up. It's 25 quid. They killed the last act, but you'll be all right. Do you fancy that? Do you fancy I'll do that? it, but I haven't got any speakers. Be 90, 90% commission. 90% commission. Is that all right, is it? Yeah, it sounds good. Sounds good. So, uh, obviously, that was that was a fictitious um, role play. They're all agents in Northeast aren't necessarily like that, although most of them are. So, so, so the agent came up. You said, I don't have any gear. And then what happened from there? Well, what she told me to do was to go away. I was a woman. Uh, so, yes, was it like, was Sharon, actually. Oh, Sharon, yeah. She told me Best to go Sharon. away and, and get some gear. Go away, get some gear. Go away and get some gear. She was a fabulous singer, by the way, Sharon. Taylor Kay, I think her name was. Ah, and, um, which I did. Uh, I feel quite bad now because I actually know Sharon. She's lovely. Yeah, I, I went away and got some gear. And then I practiced and I, I picked a load of songs, which, you know, on reflection now, the songs, oh my God. They were exactly what Beth, Betty and Ethel want to listen to now. And I was caught in that trap right at the very beginning. I learned all these really. You caught in a trap? Caught in a trap, You yeah. couldn't get out? I couldn't get out. And uh, learned all these songs. And then I rang her up. Dave Carr, who's another agent, was there as well. A famous and, Dave Carr. Yeah. He told me that he could get me some work. And I always remember I was supposed to do my very first gig this particular Saturday. I can't remember what the date is now, obviously, because it was eons ago. Um, but then she rang me up at the very last minute on a Tuesday. I'll never forget it. And she said to me, I've got you your first gig. Go to Richie and Westgarth. Richardson and Wesker. Yep, but. and I was on with another act at the time. It was when there was two acts on on a Tuesday night. And I think he was called Daz, if I remember rightly. And That's a hell of a stage name, isn't it? I was... Or, or, um, or a washing powder detergent. He, well, yeah, he was actually. And I got on that stage and I was, I was a mess. I know I was a mess. My knees knocked, my ass knocked, everything knocked. But I got through it and then... What doesn't kill you makes you stronger, Chris. True story. True story. And that's how I started. And I just went on from there. I've had run-ins with agents in the past because I will not conform. No compromise. Sue. There is no compromise. No compromise. The end of the day. Well, that's the thing you see with your background. You know, you're used to arguing with people. More exactly. important people than a theatrical agent. Exactly. People who have got like thousands of employees, that sort of thing. Exactly. Great. And so ever since then, you've never looked back. Well, I wouldn't say that, Chris. You know, I've had my moments. Uh, so how many times have you quit now? I haven't quit, but, you know, I've rang agents up and said, that's it, don't give me any more fucking work because I ain't going back to that shit all for nobody because they don't check it out. You know, they could put somebody like me in who they know that I do comedy um, intermittently between the songs and it'll die on its ass. And then they'll, the agent will then ring you up and you'll get another tongue lashing off them for daring to do what you do. And they know full well. Um, and, you know, I have to say that I think the agents have to accept the responsibility that the decline of the clubs is sometimes down to what they've put in, who they've put in, 
and when they've put them in. Oh, eh? Hey. We're well, getting very political now. Well, it's true, though, because the, I think the clubs, you know, they are in a decline, but people blame the smoking ban and cheap beer, and it's not that. It's cold winters, Sue. That's it's what's not killing just cold it's winters cold and winters. hot summers, because we, we don't have any of them anymore. It's cold like winter. Every, every winter there's oh, less people I remember in. when I was a young and there was 22 fucking foot of snow outside. We had to dig our way out and walk to school in our clogs. Well, there's there's, a, there's lots of uh, there's lots of debate on why the clubs are declining. Well, there is, but it, it, it's not just one thing. It's cheap beer, no smoking. Um, an awful lot of people don't like the fact that there isn't a drummer and organist anymore. Believe it or not. And of course, a lot of people are dying so because That's there's exactly nobody right. to replace them. That is it, because the kids don't want to use the clubs the way well, that well, they why did. Would they? We, well, that's exactly. That's, would you sit through? I mean, I know you quite like my set, but <laughs> if. Uh, if you were a 20-year-old, you wouldn't sit through us, us singing, because our, our set is, by necessity, sort of geared towards the people that use the venues. That's right. So if you've got somebody who's 20 years old and they're like, hey, I can go to my local club and get a pint for, say, £1.60 as opposed to £3.50 in town, you'd go, and then you'd go into a club and you wouldn't be welcomed in. The doorman would be like, are you a member? Exactly. Uh, you'd have to fight your way in, and then... You get, then you sit down, you get a pint, and you're amazed at how cheap it is, and you think, I'm going to start using this club some more. And then the bingo starts, and you're told to shut up. Yep. Um, and then the act comes on, sings songs you don't know, because they're all from 1920. Correct. And then you, you leave thinking, well, I'm not going back there. And then you never go back. And That's then exactly right. Ethel and Doris, who, who do use the club and spend, what, 25 pence on... Um, Sarsaparilla. Or, or, or orange orange squash. and water. Yeah. Um, and they nurse that all night, play the bingo, go home early, and uh, and then, you know... Yeah, that, that's the, well, come the second I, half, you're not singing to anybody because well, Betty and Ethel have gone home to put their teeth in steroidant and get fucking cocoa And then five years later, Ethel and Doris don't, don't, don't come in anymore because their mate Betty died last year and they can't bear to see the MGC. <laughs> I mean... Obviously, I'm, I am being a little bit callous there, but... But it's true, you haven't said anything that isn't true, that's, and that's why it's so difficult... When you're singing, you go on stage and sing to, I don't know, in a club that maybe holds... Oh, hang on, Sue. When I go on stage, I sing to thousands of people. <laughs> yeah, in your really? fucking dreams. <laughs> you're singing to 30 people at the beginning of the night and then the bingo finishes and they've all paid £8 to try and win a five, eh? Yeah. Uh, and then the bingo finishes and they put their hats and their coats on and they disappear and you're actually singing to maybe two or three. You know, there is no... What well, do you do? What do you do? Well, here's a good business model for you. Yeah, so so you're a, you're a club that relies on wet sales uh, behind the bar. That's 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 where clubs make the money on the beer. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So what you then do is you then market your target audience to be the one sector of society that doesn't have any money, the people on a fixed income. You know, your pensioners. So they they don't have any more money because they've got no way of generating any more money. They live on a fixed income. So when the pound gets devalued and things get more expensive and their pensions doesn't doesn't go up with inflation, then they find that they've got less money. Therefore, they're not going to use the club as much or buy as much because they can't afford it. And uh, then, of course, as this, it's one of these self-correcting things, though, in 10 years' time, nobody, the clubs well, will all be gone. Well, you know, what, you've got to remember as well, you're stood on that stage, you're watching everybody that's in that audience. I've been in that audience. I've been in that on a, on a stage before and watched people, Betty and Ethel, um, sitting with their orange and water and pouring their own bloody brandy in it. I've seen that before. Well, yeah. But so they again. walk out pissed 
And then at the committee, you're like, well, how are they, how are they pissed? They've only been drinking orange and water all night. Should grass them up, man. Oh, oh, you're, oh, you're yeah, grass them up. Yeah. I'll grass any bastard up I have to. You go, oh, you. Here, <laughs> <laughs> have you put that bottle back in your bag? Uh, oh, I'm gonna have to get. I'm gonna have to stop having this serious conversation. Can we go back to the light-hearted stuff go before on, you <laughs> get off your soapbox, <laughs> you? Uh, Sue Allen, you, you, you ask me why I'm barred from so many clubs. There's your answer. Sue, why are you barred from so many clubs? <laughs> because I will not conform. I'm a union officer. Uh, proud of my job. Proud of the fact that I'm known as the Rottweiler. Because I'll fight for what's right. And I will not let a committee man. A jumped-up pigeon fancier, or somebody that's been growing leeks for the last 20 years since he retired, tell me what I've got to do and what I haven't got to do, what I can sing, what I can't sing, or the rest of that. I will not do it. So you, you think that... We think similarly on this about the set, which is you are booked on the strength of your set, or you're booked on the strength of your last gig, really. So you go in and you do a set, yeah. and... If the venue likes your set, they book you back. Yeah. If they don't like your set, they don't have to book you back. No hard feelings. Correct. Right, yeah. But the actual viewpoint on a lot of acts on the, the circuit, in the Northeast especially, is I must do absolutely everything the punters want to get as much work as possible, which I think is a bit of a funny way of looking at things. Well, it depends on how badly you need the money, you see... Some people that are out there, it's their only income, so they will do. They will bend over backwards. You know, at the end of the night, I mean, you know, you've got to remember that when you turn up at a club through an agent, you have a contract. Your contract states that you will do two 45-minute spots or three 30-minute spots. Um, it doesn't specify what you're saying. It does not specify that you have to do 66 fucking encores, which some people in this business, feel it necessary to do. They absolutely love me. Well, no, they don't. Get over yourself. It's because the bars stayed open and mm. they want some noise going on in the background. You've got to remember, right, you, as long as you do what you are contracted to do, you don't have to do any extras. That's actually classed as overtime. Yep. And overtime pays it an overtime premium. Might not be time enough, but it'll still be the same amount of money. So you have that choice. And you get people that say, you know, I had a ball. I had three dancers. I had three dancers all night and I did 16 encores. Well, you know, fucking good on you. But Susie Wong wouldn't do that. Nope. And neither would you, Chris, would you? True story. True story. Uh, my my favourite uh, at the moment is when the punters come and say, are you going to sing blah, 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 or what? That's my favourite phrase at the moment. Yeah. Are you going to sing... In all fairness, I mean, I stopped listening to the radio in 1998, but because, uh, you know, I've just started regressing ever since then. But if somebody comes up and says, I want the latest chart hit, you need to sing this. And I'm a bit like, well, no, I, I don't do that. I don't really take requests. And you say that, and then people turn into babies and get really, really oh, yeah. aggressive. And it, it, it all depends on, I mean, I try and be polite. I mean, well, you know me, so I try and be polite. <laughs> Sometimes I'm not, but last night, um, uh, no, sorry, it was Tuesday today we were recording this. Uh, on Sunday night, I was gigging in a very, very, I'm going to say, colourful pub up in near Bladen. Some girl comes and says, can I sing? And I says, I don't know. Can you? I've not heard you. And she went, no, I meant I want to sing now. And I'm like, no, I'm sorry. I don't like people using my gear. And this, this girl could, just couldn't get her head around it. She 
wouldn't believe that I would say no to her. Exactly. And this, this is, unfortunately, there's this massive entitlement going on where you're in front of somebody, they can tell you what to do. And I'm always a bit like, to use a very bad example, if you went to see the police singing, right? Yeah. You wouldn't go up to Sting and, and say, say, oh, mate, uh, do you do Penny Arcade? Because <laughs> you wouldn't, would you? No. I mean, I know it's like... But I know exactly where you're coming from. Yeah. It, or you get somebody come up and, and they'll say, can my girlfriend sing that song that you've just sang? Because she sings it better. And you're like, you know... I mean, it, off. it might but be true, though, so... Well, she can use my microphone, but I have herpes every three fucking months. Do you want to take that risk? Oh, that, that's something else I really hate, you know, when, they, <laughs> when the committee, like, I need to use your mic for oh, the... Oh, yes. And I always say to them, I said, I do have a mic for the... I, I use the purpose, but I normally dunk it in the toilet to disinfect yeah. it afterwards. Like, oh, and But they, again, and, and, or they say, can you just play background music while we're waiting for the bingo coming on? Uh, they, they want their money's worth out of you. Mm. Um, and you're not under any obligation to do that, but again, there are people that will go above and beyond and nail. Yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. I'll do anything you say. But I won't. And I will stick. And that is why I am barred from an awful lot of That's clubs. That's exactly right. And uh, funny enough, I'm barred from a couple of clubs well, as well. there you go. Maybe, maybe we're not very good club acts, so maybe, maybe not, that's what maybe. it is, you know. But I do an awful lot of private work, and the private work is always better as well, you it's know, Chris, because work, people... It? Well, both. Because people want to see you. You put bums on seats. So if you've got that act that their particular club likes and they book you private, you know you're in for a good night. You know, you can do two private ones and then you can do one for an agent and you know which one's going to go belly up. You absolutely. know it. Yep, no, I agree. I absolutely agree. Okay, so... While we're on the subject of fabulous gigs full of uh, beautiful people who appreciate everything you do, yeah. tell me about your last gig that you've done recently. Well, I don't want to name the place, but I was doing a country and western gig, unusual because I love my country and western, but I was doing a country and western gig and the country and western scene is split into two. You have those people that like country music, listening to country music, and you have those people that like to line dance. Now, the people that like to line dance are the bossy bastards of the country and Western world because they don't want to line dance to the Zac Brown Band and Chicken Fried and, um, you know, Luke Combs and Be and Ever Brought My Art. They want to line dance to fucking Ed Sheeran um, or Adele. I mean, how the bloody hell you can dance to Adele in the first place is totally beyond me. Or even listen to Adele. Or even listen to Adele because she is mega depressing. So... I was up at this... Um, she says really nice things about you, Sue. Does she? Well, she's not bad. She looks good since she lost her weight. Um, so you go, I go up to this, this club, and yeah, they're all there, and you have this split. And you can see where the split is, just looking at the audience, you know where the split is. And I have three half-hour sets to do. And in between my half-hour sets, there's no bingo, there's a raffle where you can win a bottle of toilet water. Well, they shoot each other. No, they don't do that. They don't do the shooting thing. Oh. Um, and in between my sets, there's a guy sitting on a laptop who has to play a list of songs that the line dancers, inverted commas, have given him. And it was like, well, I didn't know any of the bloody songs that the, this, this guy was playing. And I said to him, what are them songs? He said, oh, they're Latino songs. Um, and I'm like, 
but that's not country. He said, no, they, they've ruined it. They've ruined it for the country people because... So, of course, consequently, when I was on stage singing the likes of George Strait or Alan Jackson or the Zac Brown Band, um, you know, and Tim McGraw and all the really, really good songs that are out there in the country scene, they were looking at me like I was the fucking Antichrist. You know, and I can't sing Latino music. I don't know. I don't even know it. I thought you were part Latino. No. No, no, you, you've got me wrong there. I was, I'm not part Latino at all. I've Sue, Sue Sowerby Sewers. Sue, <laughs> uh, got a little bit of cunty kinty in me. More cunty than kinty, isn't that? You behave yourself, you. <laughs> okay, so uh, we've established the last one. That was the last one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. First ever gig was Richie and Westgarth, like I told you before. You know, that was the first venue I ever saw an act in. Was it? Yeah, when I've moved to Northeast. Many years ago. Wasn't me, was it? No, it wasn't you. No. I'd remembered you. You'd so. have remembered me, yeah. I, I was like, a jelly. I was, I was like, a mess. That bloke keeps telling jokes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I tell you it was. You'll laugh. It was an act called Uncle Fester. Oh, yes. Yeah. He's, you know, he's, he's gone back out onto the, the circuit. I, he, he drinks in a club that I do over at Law. Is it Middleton? No, it's in Spennymower. Middleton Moor. The, the the one on the roundabout, and he, he was in there one night, and he was telling me that he'd gone back out. Oh, Low Spenny. Low Spenny, yeah. 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 I was back on the set, yeah. Yeah, it, it, was, it was really, I mean, he came on with the Uncle Fester, the, the long yeah. jacket on, the Adams Family Music, took the jacket off, never referred to it again, and then just sang a normal set. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. That was first ever, not, not a good story, Sue, but exactly. I just thought it was relevant, and... um. Oh, yeah. Well, I could tell you some stories, Chris, believe me. Well, oh, you know, we're, we're I did a gig. get to that. I did a gig down at um, King Ozzy Workman's Club in Another Hartlepool. Hartlepool. Another Hartlepool gig. Well, do you know what, right? What we, they're a fabulous crowd, and thank God they love me. I can get away with murder in there. And the second half, what we did, we, we, we thought, right, we'll do something really different here. So what we did was we played Sing Along a Bingo, hmm. and they had to shout a number out from 1 to 125, which was on the iPad, and whichever number appertained to that song, whether I knew it or not, I had to sing it. Yeah. And it was fabulous. They really got into it. Killed by death. Killed by death. Well, I'll tell you what, right? I did fuck a couple up, or <laughs> A up. They just went with it. I mean, you've never heard anything like my rendition of One Way or Another by Blondie. <laughs> they fucking loved it. <laughs> yeah, King Aussie, uh, King Aussie Club again. Um, we would me and uh, me and Mark Sylvester were talking about this, and uh, me and uh, Jim Clark were talking about this. I turned up. Uh, uh, I, I mentioned this in the Jim Clark podcast. I turned up to see Mark Sylvester sing um, on the bike. Went in with a Brando jacket, you know, and they thought I was a punk. Yeah, and I made out that there was me and a load of Hell's Angels coming down to see the country night. Um, anyway, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so I once did a gig, you know, where there was some Hell's Angels there. I always remember. With the stones on as well. It was, I can't remember where it was. Alan would probably be able to tell you, but it was, believe it or not, it was a 90th birthday party. And I'd already done a 50th birthday party at the Village Inn. In Merton. Merton. On the afternoon. And, you know, I was really, really looking forward to the 50th one, but it died on its ass because everybody turned up with a baby. So when you're trying to do an act and there's loads of babies in carrying seats, it's like, what the hell? So you started singing and they all started crying? No, they didn't. They didn't, actually, but that's where I was expecting. That's normally what happens, isn't it? it? Yeah. 
So then we went on to the, the second gig, which was for a 90th birthday party. And I remember saying to Alan when we were driving up, what the hell am I going to fucking sing here at a 90th birthday party? But we turned up at this birthday party. And again, it, the room was split into three. As you were stood on the stage, to the left-hand side was a load of Hell's Angels. Mm. Because the woman whose 90th was was called Millie. She was known as Magnificent Millie. And her son was a Hell's Angel. I and, see. you know, they were all sitting there with their bloody tin helmets on and all their filthy leathers. Wow, 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 wow. Smelling of UD for, WD-40 and all UB the rest UB-40? WD-40. <laughs> and at the back of the club was all Millie's friends, which were the WI, the Jammin' Jerusalem Brigade. That's brilliant. You know? And then the rest of the club was taken up with Millie's family. Now, Millie came in, everybody was in the club, and Millie came in and she was magnificent. She was this 90-year-old woman that did not look 90. She looked about 70. She was all in white, all these sparkles and sparkly earrings, and she looked amazing. And she came over to me and she said, oh, do 60s, 70s, 80s, stuff like that. And I said, right. So we set away, and the incredible thing was the uh, Hells Angels went and got the Jammin' Jerusalem Brigade up on the floor. You know, and they were saying, oh, come on, get on the floor, get on the floor, and the Jammin' Jer- No, oh, no, 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 we don't want to... Fucking get on the floor. <laughs> so they got them up, and the, 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 the lads were hoying these bloody WI women all over the place, and they fucking loved it. It was one of the best gigs I ever did. Do you reckon there was a couple of hookups in the car well, park? Well, I'm telling afterwards. you now, right? I wouldn't be surprised if some of the Jammin' Jerusalem Brigade were pregnant after that night. Because I, I, you could see it in their eyes. It was like, throw caution to the wind. Feeding time it, at the zoo. For it. it was marvellous. Brilliant. The, so uh, that was funny because we were just about to talk about the best gig you've done. That sounds like one of them. Um, oh, yeah. I've done some crackers. So tell us about, which one do you think is the very, very best one you've done? Like, like one you always remember, or more than one if there's plenty? Um, that one was really good. I mm. always remember I did um, a gig uh, at this club. And again, they booked me private and they had gone in and I wasn't feeling very well, actually. So I'd said to the, the, the woman that had booked me, look, I'm not very well. Um, rather than me come on stage and dress up to the eyeballs, can I just come on comfortable? And she was like, oh, yeah, Sue, so you just do what you want to do. She didn't realize at the time that it was all planned. I'd had it all planned. And I actually came on stage in my pajamas and dressing gown. And had an absolute ball. <laughs> an absolute, honest to God, I had a ball because they couldn't believe somebody would come dressed in pyjamas. They were new pyjamas, mind Chris, I will tell you that. Well, of course. It cost me £7 out of premium. You have standards. Uh, I had my dressing gown on and my slippers and I had a ball. Have you ever tried doing a gig in your jammers? No. It's very, very relaxing. Let me just tell you. I sleep naked, Sue, so I mean, nobody wants to see that. No, they don't. They don't, Chris. Right. Here's the good one. Go on then. Tell us about the worst gig you've ever done. The worst gig. I'm not going going to name the club, but. You you can name the club if you want. The worst gig I ever did, right, was because I'm a GMB, at the time I was only a convener. I wasn't in the position that I'm in now. And I'd gone to this particular club and the, the. Chairman of the club was a guy called Billy. And what had happened was there was hell on because the um, 
steward of the club had a claim in against them and he was using the GMB union to get that claim through the courts. Billy knew that I was a union convener, so I was on a hiding to none. And he spoke to me like I was a piece of shit on the bottom of his shoe. Anyway, what happened, and I still don't know whether it was a set-up job or not, but there was these two guys sitting at the front, and they were heckling me. Now, Billy always said to me, no swearing. I don't want any swearing off you. If you swear, I'll get in touch with the agent, blah, blah, blah. So um, these two guys, they were only young guys sitting at the front of the club, and they really were heckling me. And so I did the first spot, um, and before I went on for the second spot, I got hold of Billy and I said to him, look, you know, can you get rid of those two guys? Otherwise, I'm going to end up saying something. And I always remember what he said to me. If you can't stand a heat, Sue, get out of the kitchen. He said, by all means, heckle them back, but one swear word out of you when you're bad. And I thought, I'm, I'm set up here. I've been set up yeah. for a fall. So I came back on the stage and lo and behold, these two cretins walked back in and was sitting at the front and started giving me jip again. So um, I actually said, you two are the reason abortion will always be legal. <laughs> and that's when Billy actually stood on the stage, told me to fuck off and never been back. <laughs> well, One of the worst ones that, I ever had. Yeah, that's, that's a definite sound. Especially as the audience booed me as well for saying it. Really? Yeah. Friggin' politics and club land. Exactly, man. exactly. Yeah, see, dear listener, if you're not familiar, you would never have realised exactly what kind of uh, what kind of shenanigans go on in these these simple workmen's clubs you pass by on. You know the ones that look like they've been burnt down. As you drive past them, there's always webs of intrigue. I always remember another club I did. God, all bloody mighty! Again, I was booked private. It was chock a block. It was a darts and dominoes presentation up in Newcastle, and. I was in the middle of doing my first set when all bloody hell broke loose and the, I saw this little concert chairman weaving his way through the audience and he was screaming at me, literally screaming at me at the top of his voice. Stop the music, stop singing, stop singing. I naturally thought, shit, somebody's had a heart attack, Some, something's happened. So I stopped singing. Alan was at the back of the stage, didn't, didn't see this little guy, was looking at me but carried on with the music. By this time, this little twat came to the front of the stage and shouted at Alan to turn the music off, which Alan did. He then said to me, I need your microphone. So I gave him my microphone and he said, and I quote, pie and peas have arrived. And then he gave me my microphone back and said, carry on, pet, you've got another 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, what a fucking wanker and brought the house down. So that's what we're up against. What's that, that story about that? I don't know. Was, I think you told me this. No. There was a Christmas tree on stage at a gig. And it was only decorated halfway up. And the singer, I think it was a girl singer, kept on referencing the tree, saying, who only did half a job on this tree? Who only did half a job on this tree? And then one of the committee men stood up of his chair, came forward and said, I did it, and he was a little person. Ooh, Couldn't reach any God. higher. Ah, so there you go. Uh, was that the take that wasn't one that you told me? No, no. Yeah, I can't collect my thoughts. I'm getting old. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've had some classics. Oh, it sounds like it. Okay, so uh, we're going to move on. Right. Uh, 
you've got to have your sweet as well as your sour, haven't you? Yeah. So if you could meet any musician or group, living or dead, who would you most like to hang out with? Probably Wilco Johnson. Um, beat cancer, amazing role model, absolutely phenomenal musician, um, and talk some really good shit. So Wilco Johnson, definitely top of my list. Not Elvis. Um, second would be um, probably Jimi Hendrix. Mm. Only so I could run my fingers through his hair. Okay. And probably pluck his instrument. It, it's, it's hang out with, <laughs> so not fondle. <laughs> well, I'm sure Jimi Hendrix is, is pleased he's passed away. Um, okay. The so you can be so cruel. I am. I, sorry about that. I don't mean it, so you know that. <laughs> I, hang on a minute. What do you describe me as whenever we work together? You go on stage, say, coming up next. Um, my favourite ginger bastard. Yeah, there we go, see. I used to be ginger, ladies and gentlemen, before I went grey and the hair got off. very thin. You can tell, though, by his eyebrows and his eyelashes are ginger, ladies and gentlemen. And that's all we're going to talk about, sir. Exactly. Let's not talk about the collar and the cuffs. We're not talking about... I can't about... go there when my head's pink. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's very appropriate for a lady of your age to have a rinse. <laughs> uh, okay. Now, this, is, this, is an, this question I'm always quite embarrassed about. I thought it was a good question when I wrote it. Right. And every time I, I read it, I feel mildly embarrassed. But right. I keep it in. Okay. keep it in as a sort of penance. Go on. Go it's like self-flagellation. Right. If you were abducted by aliens... Right. And the only way you could avoid being painfully probed was to perform your best song, what would that song be? And if you couldn't do that song, what would be your second choice? Um, I think my... What I would do, right, is I would be conscious of the fact that I want them to drop me like a hot potato. So I would sing something totally banal, like Penny Arcade, and I would constantly sing it over. And I once heard a singer sing an extended version of Penny Arcade. It went on for about five and a half minutes. It was worse than Alexander's Palace doing 25 minutes of fucking Bat Out of Hell by Meatloaf. So I would probably do Penny Arcade on loop. Hopefully that they drop me like a hot potato. Probably fire in the sun soon. But believe you me, if they pick me up during the, uh, the night, they drop me during the day when they saw me. And which one do you think you proper kick ass at when you sing it? When I sing, mm. uh, um, what I put my heart and soul into, because it's such a special song, is uh, Rhythm of the Night by... Debarge. Um, no, Rhythm of the Night by Rod Stewart. Because it's got everything. It's got bagpipes. I'm a massive bagpipe fan. I love the bagpipes. It's got the bagpipes. It's got a message about the soldiers returning home from the war. And it's just a fantastic song. The lyrics are brilliant. I love it. And that, if ever I get to sing it, which, you know, obviously if you're in a club with Betty and Ethel, you can't because they've never fucking heard of Rod Stewart. Um, He's my postman. Is he? They, that's what I do, and that's what I give 110% at when I'm singing. Great. See? That's a good answer, that, Sue. I know it is. That, all right, and smart ass. <laughs> <laughs> um, right, best dressing room you've ever been in? Best dressing room I've ever been in? Uh, well, actually, it's the revamped dressing room at Barnard Castle Club. Barnard Castle Club used to be a right shithole. Um, but they spent an awful lot of money on it. They put a lift in there, which is fabulous. Um, a stair then, lift for you? 
a stair, it's not a stair lift. There's some stair lifts flying around. You can never use them because they're for the punters. But the lift is one of these state-of-the-art lifts that you just put your gear in. You don't have to press a button. It just automatically sends you up to the next level. <laughs> Sounds broken. <laughs> and their dressing room... Wait, wait, room, my arm's still out of the lift. <laughs> <laughs> their dressing room has been revamped. Tea, coffee, biscuits, you know, a proper, proper welcome. You so really Barnard are easily Castle. pleased, aren't you? Yeah, I am. Tea, coffee and biscuits all Tea, coffee and biscuits. It's, it's the little things... It's the little things that, you know, or if you get a message like a Darlington East End Club where there's a message in their dressing room that says, welcome to our club. How lovely. As opposed to no As smoke machines to be used <laughs> by order of the committee. You know, you go in and you're on 25 minutes reading all the bloody things on the wall. Do that, not do thou this. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not sing Penny Arcade or Alice. Who the fuck is Alice? Thou shalt not use a smoke machine. Thou shalt not talk to the audience. Do not get off the stage. And it's like... Thou shalt oh, not enjoy hell. oneself. Exactly. Worst dressing room. Jesus Christ, there's loads of them. <laughs> there are loads of them. Um, Shall I tell you mine quickly? Go on then. I always thought the one at Horden Vic was pretty rough. Yeah, well, like, they did that up. They painted that. Yeah, I did. My favourite bit about that was the graffiti. Was the door. Yeah. Do you, want, do you want to tell them what it said or should oh, I say what it was? It was something about something, something, all you went to hear. What was it? Abandon hope, all that you, you went to hear. That was it. Or, Abandon hope. And above it, it had Jeremy Kyle green room this way, which I always thought was yeah, pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, probably one of the worst ones. And again, you're talking about for the graffiti was, um, it was at Felling. Gone. Split Crow Road or something, yeah, was it? Felling Big Club, gone. Yeah. It's gone now. It's gone now. It's flattened yeah, now because they've turned it into a, a... I think they're going to be building a care home on there, Helen McArdle care home. There was a big but argument that, on that wall, wasn't there? That's right. That was just... I mean, it was freezing, which is another thing. You go into the clubs and they're mega hot and you walk into the dressing room. There's a, a radiator there that's been there since 1910, but it's never switched on and just you come bleed. out and your bloody nipples are like football fucking studs. You cannot concentrate because you're poking fucking Betty in the face with your nipple. Um, and I can never get my head around why the club is red hot, but the bloody... The, the dressing room's absolutely Baltic. Because the punters are a commodity and we are just the service. Yeah. But I, that one, yeah... That, I take a heater, you know, now. That, well... Because I'm middle-aged now, I take a heater with it. I take a little fan heater. Oh, God, you're so and sad. And an extension lead. Yeah, I wasn't sad the other night when I went into the freezing dressing room and was like... It's all right, no problem. Click. And somebody came in, right, saying, oh, your dressing rooms are nice and warm. I'm like, yeah, I win. Yeah, it's just the little things like that that would help, wouldn't it? That, make, that would make you feel welcome, but they don't. Well, they don't go in there, do they? Your average committee man. They don't go in the dressing rooms. That's why you go into a dressing room and there's a pint glass from 14 years ago. They're filled up with a really suspicious-looking brown liquid, yeah. which could be piss. Yeah. Could be something else. Yeah. I always remember as well, I did this club once at Middlebeck. Ugh. I think it's just been reopened, isn't it? It's called The Salon now. Is it? But I always remember I'd been sent down there and um, there, was, there was these columns all over the, 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 this massive room, these big columns. Mm. And I'd said to this guy, there was only about 10 in, and I'd said to this guy, we got set up, and I said to this guy, uh, who's, who's in charge? or she is over there. And when I looked over to where the bar area was, there was this woman sat there with this massive wild hair. She looked like bloody Cousin It yeah. of the Adams family. I've met this woman. So I went over to her 
And I said to her, um, oh, you know, I'm Sue Allen, as you do. Mm. I'm Sue Allen, first time here, blah, blah, blah. And she said, all right, just a few things to run through with you. First of all, it won't be busy tonight because some punk band was on a pub down the road, Sid's not in the phlegm balls or something, I don't know, I can't remember. And she said to me, just a few things. First of all, don't do anything, don't do any ballads because they don't like ballads in here. And don't do any rock, heavy rock or soft rock because they don't like that. Steer clear of country and western, whatever you do. And don't do any pop music because they don't like pop music either. And I'm, I can remember standing there thinking, what the fucking hell does she want me to sing? I Motown. Said, well, what, what, what kind of music? Oh, Motown. <laughs> just do Motown. And I thought, Mo I said, well, I only know four. She said, well, just, you know. Just, just repeat so them. I said to Alan about, uh, you know, I reiterated this conversation to Alan. He said, oh, fuck it. We'll do what we want to do. So we did. Now, as it happened, oh, and she also said to me, because it's your first time here at halftime, I'll go around and ask the punters what they think of you, and if they don't like you, I'll probably give you your money and ask you to go home. So you're like, fucking hell. Bonus. There's bastard 10 people on in here. What's going on? Anyhow, as it happened, we just did what we wanted to do. So, of course, we had soft rock in there. We had country. We put a ballad in. We did everything we were told not to do. Um, and... It transpired that Sid's not on the fucking flim balls were a pile of shite. So they all came back from the pub. So consequently, the second half, it was, I wouldn't say it was bouncing, but I would say from the 10, it had gone to about 60. So I got on the stage and did my usual, well, I come off the stage, you know, Chris, get on the tables and, mm -hmm. and bounce around on the tables. And I had a ball. And at the end of the night, Alan was packing the gear up and she came on the stage and she... She um, said to me, oh, I, Sue, it was, it was, it was good. Uh, now I've got a little book. And honest to God, on my dog's lives, listeners, this is what she said to me. I've got a little book here and it's got five categories in it. Excellent, good, pile of shite, never again. Now she said, it wouldn't be fair for me to tell you which category you're in, but I will be on to your agent and you will be back shortly. And I said, oh, right, thank you. I said, well, actually, I've got a little book of my own. I said, but mine's only got two categories. Great. And over my fucking dead body. I said, and you're not in the first one. And I got barred. <laughs> I got a phone call from the agent a couple of days later, and I was barred from that club. So there you go. Yes. One I'm, rule for one, one rule for another. I'm, uh, I'm barred from Middlebeck as well. So you know the woman? I do know the woman. Yeah. yeah. She was like cat weasel gone wrong, she wasn't came, she? She came up to me and said, uh, but she went, you didn't do very much Motown in your spot. I said, I'll correct you, I didn't do any Motown. I don't do any Motown. Well, that's all we like in here. And I was like, okay. I said, it's going to be all 80s for the second spot, sorry. Yeah. Went on. She went, I, I don't think you'll be back because you didn't do any Motown. I'm like, no problem. And then about a year or two later, I got the phone call saying, oh, um, we've got Middlebeck in. I was like, no, I'm not going to Middlebeck. They only like Motown. Oh, no, she, she's been sacked. You're allowed to go back now. Yeah. I was like, oh. No, actually, I'm not bothered. Yeah. You know, uh... But that's, and again, that comes back to another one of the problems with the demise of the clubs. It's about people's, on, people that are on the committee, their personal preference. They stop thinking about what the punters actually want. But there you go. Well, you're only as good as what the concert chairman's wife thinks you are. You well, know, yeah, well, uh... the club's only as good as its committee, and that's why most of the fuckers have shut. So, uh, next question. Yes. The strangest song ever requested. 
Uh, the strangest song ever requested, believe it or not, was at a gig which was not a country and western gig, and somebody asked me for Cotton Fields by Nathan Carter. Never heard it, Googled it in the, in the, the interim while I was, they were playing their bingo. I thought, oh, I'll have a go. And that is literally all it is Cotton Fields. Pick a bill of cotton, pick a bill. <laughs> Sounds great. So I went on stage and I sang the biggest pile of shite, which was supposed to be pick a bale of cotton, but didn't sound anything like that. Did, uh, did they seem happy that you did that? Uh, no, they looked at me like I'd lost the plot, actually. Yeah. You're not used to that by now. Yeah. I tell you, I haven't told you mine. Orinoco flow. Oh, my God. In a pub in uh, Chester the Street. You know you've died on your ass when they want a fucking uh, instrumental. <laughs> it's not instrumental. <laughs> sail well, away, not sail doing. away, sail away. <laughs> okay. <laughs> The next question, mm-hmm. Sue. Uh, you're doing very well, by the way. We're nearly an hour in. Oh, fabulous. Str- uh, right, so we've done Strangest Song Ever Requested. The strangest thing someone's ever said to you at a gig? The strangest thing ever... Right, it was... <clears throat> I can remember this. I'd gone to this club and <clears throat> the committee had been in disarray and they'd got this new committee in place. Again, this was in Newcastle. And it was quite busy, this club, actually. And I saw this guy walking towards me, dressed head to foot in white. I'm not making this up. Head to foot. He had a white suit on, a white shirt, a white belt, white shoes. And he was walking towards me, and he said his name was Wayne. Hello, are you Sue Allen? Yeah. Well, I'm Wayne. I'm your new concert secretary. Uh, Concert chairman. I said, all right. He said, now, uh, obviously, you'll have heard from the bar staff that there's been a bit of hoo-ha and we've changed the committee over. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah. He said, well, we're trying to get the young people in. So we've introduced a young committee. All right. He said, now, you've probably never seen a a concert chairman dressed like me before, all in white, smart. I said, no, you're right. I said, you actually look quite vaginal. And he said to me, I think you mean virginal. I said, no, vaginal, you look like a complete fanny. And I never went back there either for some strange reason. What are you? Should have said you look like Colonel Sanders. <laughs> Wayne, second name Kurt. Wayne, his, his name was Wayne. Wayne, if you're out there listening, I hope you've ditched the suit, darling. You look like a pimp. If it's the guy I'm thinking of, he got sacked a couple of months later. Fabulous. Uh, right, um, that's... Pretty much all of the questions I wanted to ask you. Uh, is there anything really funny you wanted to add to the end? Like any funny stories, something of note you'd like to drop in for uh, the, the generations to come who will be using this podcast as how not to be a club act? How not to be a clubber? I would just say to anybody that's listening, don't take any shit. Remember that the agents work for you, not the other way around. As a matter of fact, if you can steer Cleaver an agent all the better because they're millionaires, you're not. And they're millionaires on the back of you. Um, I always remember, I did this gig once and we we were supposed to go on at, uh, I think it was about nine o'clock. Anyway, I'd gone on and the, I was only halfway through the very first song when this car, it it was a hot day and the, the, the club was on the, the, the level, floor level, and they had the door open, which led onto a back street. And this car pulled up. I was singing, and I saw this car pull up outside this door. 
And all of these guys got out and ran into the bar and all hell broke loose. They all started fighting with the guys that were in the bar and all this was going on. So, cause I'd stopped singing and everybody that was in the room where I was singing ran into the bar to find out what was going on. And they all had their bloody mobile phones out and they were videoing it. The police were called and, and on and on and on it went. So consequently, the bingo, I thought, oh, they're not gonna put the bingo on here, but they did. So the bingo was late in going on. Oh no. Oh yeah. And the woman that was calling the bingo out was so pissed by this point, she was number dyslexic. Uh, and of course they were all kicking up a stink saying that she was shouting out the wrong numbers and this, that and the other. So I was supposed to go on at 25 past 10 till five past 11. I actually got on at 10 to 11. So at five past 11, I did what you would have done, Chris. And I sang my last song and came off. And the woman in charge, Lily, said, <coughs> well, in view of what's happened, I'm sure Sue will carry on singing until quarter 12. And I said, eh, no, I fucking won't. I've done my, I've done what I was supposed to do. It is not my problem. But there was a fight, the police were called, statements had to be taken, bingo overran, that's got nothing to do with me, ain't happening. Took the gear down, buggered off. They could have cancelled the bingo, couldn't they? The, and what I did, which I don't do now, but what I did do was I put something on Facebook about what an atrociously run club it was. I never named anybody and I didn't name the club, but I put this comment on. And the next day, that was on the Sunday, and on the Monday I had a phone call from the agent and she said, um, Sue, what did you put on Facebook? And I said, well, so I told her, I told her what the story was. And she said, right, can you remove the comment? I said, no. She said, well, Lily's not very happy. I said, well, you know, that's Lily's prerogative, but I wasn't very happy. So, um, she said to me, will you just ring her up and apologize? I said, I beg your pardon. She just ring her up and apologize. So I rang Lily up. I did ring her up on the Monday night. I rang her up and she knew instantly who it was. And she said to me, that's Sue Allen, isn't it? I said, yeah. She said, have you rang to apologize? I said, actually, Lily, I've rang to say that if you want to go to Digitas in Switzerland, I'll pay you fucking airfare. <laughs> and I got barred from there as well. I wish I was barred from there. And that's it, but she's not there anymore. Got rid of her. All right. Yeah. Another one bites the dust, as they say. Do, do, do. Uh, well, that's excellent. That's uh, pretty much all the questions I wanted to ask. Uh, one more thing. Uh, the wife asked me to add this question. It's not specific to you, so don't look so worried. She wants to know what your favourite cheese is. My favourite cheese is Wensleydale with ginger. Oh, bless you. Excellent stuff indeed. Well... Thank you very much, Sue. My pleasure. It's, it's been, been an absolute pleasure. It's been really nice talking to you. Thank you for sharing your uh, your stories and uh, your life with us. Mm -hmm. It's uh, been illuminating, as always. So when you edit it, there'll be 15 minutes left. Oh no, this is all going in. <laughs> Warts and all. So ladies and gentlemen, um, uh, but I'd just like to say thank you again for listening to Dear Listener. Thank you for listening yet again to an episode of uh, Secrets of the Dressing Cupboard. I've been Chris Atkins. I've been joined today by the beautiful, talented and vivacious Sue Allen. Uh, and please uh, continue to listen to the podcast. Uh, hopefully we should have one up next month. But in the meantime, take care and goodbye.